What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. Today's guest is Peter Deering. Peter is the founder and CEO of Peak Design, a San Francisco-based company he started in 2010 that makes photography, outdoor, and lifestyle gear. Peter and the Peak Design team have been able to build a $100 million company in eight years while keeping conservation at the core of their hearts. Peter, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, hey. Pleased to be here, man. Thanks for the warm intro. Dude, I'm stoked to have you on the show, man. Why don't you start the AOV community off by giving them a little bit more background on yourself? All right. Well, got to go all the way back. I'm Minnesota born and bred. I grew up in the very calm suburbs of, of, of Minneapolis and had a pretty pretty normal childhood. Mom was a nurse. Dad is a firefighter. Played sports. Tried to get good grades had friends, went to college in the neighboring state of Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin and studied civil engineering there and kind of got my first there. I mean, college was was hugely transformative for anyone. I mean, the years of 18 to 22 or 23 in my case are hugely transformative for anyone. But this is when I studied abroad for the first time, like going to another country for the first time. That was a huge deal for me. Just living away from my parents, that was huge. And, um, and studying engineering was, uh, was a joy for me. Um, and that's kind of the first place I got introduced to the word sustainability, um, was way back in 2003 or so. And that definitely stuck with me after college. I ended up heading out to San Francisco to build buildings for a big old general contractor. And in between my, I, I did two projects, each was about two years. And in between that, I had a leave of absence. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's the whole, we're already up to the leave of absence. That's a, I breeze through that pretty quick, but that, this is where things get really interesting because at this point I'm 25 years old and I'm into a few things. One of them is energy, like electricity, like where, where, where does the, where's the world going to get its energy from? I'm deeply concerned with this, but in like an optimistic sense, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in solving the problem. I'm interested in travel. I'm interested in photography and I'm interested in motorcycles. Um, these are my, these are my primary interests. And I bought a one way ticket to the cheapest place I could get to, which was Hong Kong at the time. And just decided to see what would happen if I just react to the world around me for about four months. And man, that was a hell of a time. If anyone out there is listening, I mean, I think a lot of people probably who are listening to this have done something similar. You think that's right amongst your audience? You know, I don't know. The lucky ones have been able to to take, you know, an extended leave and, and, and kind of just go freely float around and, and get the opportunity to kind of learn a little bit about themselves. So uh, it's really neat that you had the opportunity to do that. Yeah, totally, man. And, you know, I don't think there are a lot of things in my story that are total luck. I mean, the luck of where you're born and, and, and everything. Like I, I attribute a lot of peak design success to luck. But taking a leave of absence was not so much luck, I don't think. And I would I would just encourage those. I mean, obviously, these are very wacky times that we're living in. But for a lot of people who may have just been laid off, obviously, traveling right now is not 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 suggested. But if you did just get laid off, think about taking a journey, you know, where the, where you do the living on the real cheap. 
and you don't have a plan. And for every single person who does that, and it's not necessarily luck, it's more about the courage to do that, the courage to remember that the skills that you already have still exist whenever you're done with that journey. And you're going to go out there and you're going to learn something about yourself. That's an absolute given. You might think of some cool ideas along the way, and you might be in a better position to put those ideas into action. I mean, that journey that I was on is when I thought of the capture camera clip. It's when I thought of the tripod, which we just released 12 years after that idea came came to me. And really, I think it was the seeds of, of climate neutral occurred during that journey. You know, um, it is incredibly valuable to just give yourself the time to think about whatever it is that is presented in front of you. So big part of story. I love that. I'm, I'm super curious. I wanted to ask you this. So while you're on this journey, what were some of the biggest takeaways as far as, you know, things you learned during that journey that put you on the path that you're on now? Um, I distinctly recall when you go to Asia for the first time in your life and you've never been to Asia before and you just see so many humans living in such a small place. Um, and you can also garner a lot about the quality of lives of those humans by just reading the expressions on people's faces. And I was overjoyed to see that the expressions on faces, the world around are generally speaking, you know, no better or worse in any given place. And money is not, I mean, it sounds trite to say that money isn't what brings happiness, but 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 very genuinely, it's not money that brings happiness. You know, everyone's everyone's happiness is a relative measure um, that that can exist in whatever circumstance they're in. Um, I'm not trying that to, to to deny that abject poverty is a terribly shitty thing and exists in this world. But I, it was it was comforting to me to see people who I know are you know in absolute terms less financially fortunate. Um, but they can be just as happy. So that was a really profound piece of thing to witness and learn and, and kind of carry through my life as something that, that I think is, is very reasonable to use as a foundation for being an optimistic person. So you're running around Asia, having Mm. these experiences, learning the culture, doing these things. And what was that Epiphany. What was that moment when you came up with the idea for the capture clip? Well, I think it was. I think I was actually on a motorcycle when I when it happened. Um, I had been because I thought I was just the sickest photographer ever, you know. <laughs> which of course <laughs> might, might, you know, very very average to be honest. But um, but I was passionate about it. And I had my camera strung with a carabiner through the first little ladder lock loop on my strap. And then I attached that to my, I had a little D-ring on my um, knockoff, you know, I think it was a diesel knockoff backpack. That's what I, that's what I selected to purchase, it said <laughs> diesel on it. I was like camo green. Um, and I had a little D-ring there and um, I dangled my camera off that 
which was far better than it being on around the neck because it actually, the, the neck strap hurt and the, the Nikon straps in those days, the thing that they intend to be grippy on the underside is actually really painful on the neck. And how fortunate was that? I mean, that basically forced me to link up this camera on my backpack in this funny way. And then it's easy to make the observation like, okay, that's better than the neck strap, but what a pain in the ass that it dangles around like that. It'd be really nice if it were really rigid. And and then kind of looking at the orientation of how it would sit the most flush against the body, it's like, ah, well, you've got that quarter 20 mount, um, that tripod socket that's right there. I'd probably just put a tripod plate on it and stick it on my backpack. And, you know, boom. That's literally, that's it. That's the idea that launched, you know, what is now, uh, it, it, it's, I mean, we're not a big company, but it's substantial. <laughs> you know, right. it surprises me sometimes. It's it's so rad. I always love hearing the stories because I think even within these like small stories, there's so much to learn for people listening. There's so many people searching for ideas, oftentimes hopping on Google and mm-hmm. you know searching for these these quick business ideas. But the reality is, like you know, oftentimes the best ideas just come from solving your own your own challenges. Like what bothers you. And, you know, create a solution for that. And it's pretty rad that that's what you did with that. Yeah, I'd say I'd say probably the majority of good ideas have come from that. It always blows my mind, actually, to to think of someone who like I I don't know how else to get inspiration. You know, (laughs) my buddy Miles, my buddy Miles actually is he he's he went to stanford and they like this doctor came in with this problem with female incontinence and it was you know it's a real problem female incontinence and my buddy miles is the you know like chief executive officer of this company trying to solve female incontinence and i'm like how the hell did that happen miles <laughs> he's like well it's actually pretty simple you know this doctor came in there's this problem and 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 we took it on so I guess there is more than one way to go about it, but but as far as I'm concerned, this right. way is easier. Right. Well, I think that's that's in my opinion, that's like what that's what makes the entrepreneur archetype is is this this way of thinking. You think in problems, challenges, and solutions. You see challenges and rather say, "Oh, that's too difficult." You instantly want to create the solution, whether that's building something at your house, finding a better path, whatever it may be. You don't just take the challenge as a, as a turn away. It's always, let's take this on. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, man. And, 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 and frequently I think the difference between those who are successful at it and those who aren't, I mean, there's probably a lot of factors to success, but it's how critically and, and how accurately are you assessing both the magnitude of the problem? Like, is that really a problem? Right. You know, like, <laughs> Carrying a camera for a photographer turns out it's actually a real problem. You have to have it. And if it's in your backpack, you don't use it. So it's it's a real enough problem. And then also like, is your solution really solving it? You know? And and definitely I had more than one moment of like the capture camera clip does a great job of solving the problem of how to immediately have your camera accessible on the front of your body when you have a backpack on or if you want to attach it to your belt but the thing is is like you take a little bit of a of a, of, of a dork hit on that right like <laughs> you gotta you gotta have some confidence to say like 
I understand what this looks like, and I am okay with this because it is utilitarian enough for me. Right. Uh, and so I'm lucky that it was the it threaded the needle between the the right amount of utility without too much added dorkiness. Right. No, most definitely. Uh, so you started that on Kickstarter in 2011. You guys found massive success on the Kickstarter platform. Going into that, did you have, I mean, did you have insights? I know, I mean, that was pretty early on. That was probably even before before the first few big waves of, of Kickstarter companies that were doing really well, launching products uh, and systematizing kind of the whole Kickstarter launch and, re, you know, rinse and repeat process. What was yeah. it like going into that first Kickstarter? Well, there certainly was, I think we actually, with our second campaign, were one of the first ever people to have done a second campaign. Uh, so there, there was certainly not a process for that because we were like, is this loud? Is it, is this okay? And we were like, couldn't even get a hold of Kickstarter to answer that question. So we're like, okay, let's just see what happens. But that first one, did I have insight? Sure. In my own form of insight, uh, closer to intuition probably. And what I did is I looked at the other successful Kickstarter campaigns out there and I evaluated the problem that I was solving and the solution that I had for it. And, and, and another component is the price point. Like, is it the right price? Is it a big enough problem? Is it the right audience? And all those things felt like no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I, that was, that was the correct assumption in the end. You know, I didn't do any marketing for that. Like I I didn't know, I, I mean, the whole, industry of like it would it, i yeah like no marketing whatsoever other than putting a kickstarter video up there and presenting the problem and presenting the solution and today i mean it's just a it's a whole new it, it is so for peak design it's such an operation to put on a kickstarter it's all about the the, the marketing the pre-marketing the during marketing all of it right. um and it's it's fun it's really fun that first one was fun and every time we do one, it's fun. I love it. Um, let me ask you this. So you've been doing the – so you guys have been basically making like camera-related you know, gadgets for almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. Did you have the vision you know, back in 2011 that Peak Design would be this, you know, this awesome company, you know, one of the most recognized brands in the photography space eight years later? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I was not thinking very much beyond the capture camera clip. <laughs> um, I ex- save except for the fact that when I was part of its memory, you know, like I don't, I don't remember it, and 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 things get things get weird with, with your memory over time. But I do distinctly recall my buddy, Nick Kaplan, trying to convince me to name it the quiver or name the company quiver. You know, it's like your camera is in your quiver and he's like a New York ad guy. So I was like, wow, he must know what he's talking about. But I still think I'm not gonna. And moreover, I was like, I, but I was like, Nick, I want to keep the name of the company. I don't even want it to have to do with cameras. Cause I don't know where this thing will go. Right. And, and the name Peak Design came from my initials and a logo I already had that was similar to my initials. And I wanted the last word to be design. 
and I wanted the first word to be something, you know, with positive connotations. And my my girlfriend at the time, Ivy, came up with the word peak. So peak design was born. Dude, I love it. Um, yeah, that's a neat. I had no idea that's where the the name came from. I'm glad now I get to share that story. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, so you guys have been profitable. It sounds like pretty much from the jump. Yep. What do you think some of the you know some of the reasons why you guys have been able to remain profitable? Well, for one, I didn't actually realize there was another way to run a business. I thought that's what running a business was, is that you make things for a certain amount and then you sell them for more. And from within that, you can do things like hire employees and pay yourself. Um, And honestly, people – that's the best way to run a business. There's no doubt about it. You know, if you can be in the black – it's just it's 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 comfortable. It's stress free. That's not the that's not the go to though. I mean, you live in San Francisco. Ah, oh, shit's so that, weird that's here. That's not the model. The model is not build a real business that sells product. You know, make it for less than you sell it for. It's you know, raise capital, do this. And the reason I had to ask you that question is because it's super interesting. You see a lot of these product development companies and hardware based companies that come in and then they seem to just kind of fade away over the years. And, you know, oftentimes it seems like they just weren't able to be profitable. And so it's really awesome to see you guys eight years into this uh, still crushing it and, and with, a, you know, bringing new products to market every year. Mm. I appreciate that, man. And I almost feel like over the years I've kind of, I've developed a slight animosity toward that other model of just propping things up with VC dollars and, and like going hard. It's like you're convincing humans. Like It's like, all right, if we can get enough sheep to, 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 to hear our name enough times, we're, we're reasonably certain that you know 1.2% of them will convert at this price point. And it's like, what the fuck? What are you, ah, it's just so gross. It's like, what is the product? What are you selling them and why is it better? And if it is those things, they will buy it. That's just the way it works. Right. And so I, you know, I do appreciate that there are businesses that typically the idea is so much more grand than, than one is able to pull off at the beginning, right? You don't start SpaceX by, you know, making a, a rocket for 10 bucks and selling that one and making the next one more complex at 20 bucks. Right. Like I, I get it, and 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 in part in Silicon Valley, what you see here is so many businesses with such grandiose plans, and those certainly have their place in the world. It's not for peak design. How you do you know? feel, how do you feel about the the commerce business landscape as a whole? Do you feel like there's a lot of fluff? Like there's a lot of companies that exist that. Where it's just kind of like what, oh. do you, like, what do you really do? Like, what is your value to? Oh man, absolutely, it exists, and, and it's really interesting to see it. But how is it possible that it that they can exist? And it's possible, expressly because VC firms play this game where there is a a, a real expectation that nine out of ten of these things are going to fail, and all of those. Of those nine companies, which are being propped up with with marketing dollars and other things, like those flow somewhere, and there is a whole economy that 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 
is there to receive those dollars and kind of like, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot of services that are, that are just never actually going to be viable. Right. Uh, a lot of products and services, I should say. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a, maybe it's not something to be, to have any animosity toward, you know, maybe, maybe it's okay. I'm not, I don't mean to like judge so heavy, whether that's right or wrong or, or amoral or, or, or morally okay. But it just, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, you know? Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the earth, you know, when it gets overwhelmed, it'll just kind of shake shake off and, and kind of hit a restart. And I kind of feel like, you know, given the circumstances right now with COVID-19, I think we're seeing that in the business landscape, you're seeing every, like all this panic and yes, there's panic and there's, you know, there's all types of stuff. We're not going to go into the depths of everything that's going on right now, but what's COVID-19 it's, 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 I'm it's, just, it's, yeah, I'm just it's interesting <laughs> Sorry. to, uh, you know, you're seeing a shakedown, you know, I have a lot of people coming to me panicking about this and that, and I see a lot of things. And part of it's like, you will, you know, you don't, you never really built a real business or, you know, of course that company's struggling right now because their value is not strong enough to, 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 mm-hmm. to weather this storm, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, but any company that has real value and has a, a, a great product and, and has a real relationship and connection with their customers uh, should be fine, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And, you know, it's not to say that a lot of those companies that are out there that are probably going to get shaken loose, um, it's their kind of their failure to deliver on that failure or on that value, excuse me, is not, is not you know, willful. No. They probably they probably wish that they had something of of great value, and it's uh, it's going to be hard for a lot of people, no doubt. Let me and, ask you this: out there. Before we jump mm-hmm. into the the next the the next thing, I want to ask you. You know, there's a lot of photographers and, and creatives struggling right now, and you know, their service based mm-hmm. businesses. How do you feel about photographers using their creative skills in a more entrepreneurial setting, other than just traditional photography, you know, based services? Well, I think that they've, I think photographers are a super entrepreneurial bunch and I've been impressed by, you know, just being in the business for, for so long now, how many small businesses are able to be supported on the back of, of photography. It, it, it still happens to be one where I think it's frequently hard for creatives to kind of cobble it together. Um, just, just on those on the more traditional things. And like, it's just, it's, it is hard to innovate. So there can't be an expectation that everyone's going to be able to, um, you know, make some entrepreneurial thing happen. But, um, the, I think one of the issues with photography is that it is something that is very fun to do and things that are fun to do and are also a profession are naturally hard to get into. Um, it's like, it's like being a firefighter. My dad is a firefighter. It's a great job. You know, um, a lot of people want to become firefighters. And so it's really, really hard to pull it off. You know, he got in because his big brother was, uh, <laughs> was, was a firefighter before him. Nepotism. That's how he got in. <laughs> Peak design. You guys are all about offsetting your environmental impact. What is 1% for the planet and how does that help offset your company's environmental footprint? 
Well, one percent for the planet is a framework that uh, Yvonne Chouinard and his buddy, who is less famous, and so I forget his name, but uh, he owns a fly shop up in Montana. Um, they came up with this idea, and and they they figured that if businesses gave one percent of their revenue, that's revenue, not profit, but revenue to um, environmentally minded nonprofits, it would probably do the world some good. You know, they weren't they weren't super prescriptive about like what it would do, but it's just like this over this overarching concept of if everybody did this, it would definitely be good for the world. Let's try to get everyone to do it. And so that framework is something that we joined, I think, in 2014. And so we started, you know, that was a it's it's a sizable amount of money to have to give away every year. Um, and I'm glad that Peak Design started that process of giving early enough so that we're very used to it by now. And then what it really spun out, though, was so. 1%. It's this general thing saying you should give a certain amount. 1% is a reasonable tax to put on yourself. And, you know, some other smart people said said that. And so we said, okay, sounds like a reasonable thing to do. When it comes to actually offsetting environmental impact, that is in our mission statement. And you say we're, we're all about that. Well, we, we, we are all about that. Um, but we take a very realistic approach to it. I try to be very, very realistic about about the environment um, and about human exploitation of the planet, which is something that like humans and animals have been exploiting the planet forever. That's what we do. Um, it is it is a it is one of the functions of the planet is that there are these living bodies on it. Plants also exploit the planet. That's their that's their job as living beings. Um, but in terms of offsetting our environmental impact. Um, we need to think really critically about this. Like what, what is it that is harmful when you prints go and buy our tripod? What has transpired there? You know, is people think about the fact that eventually that tripod is going to hit the landfill. Is that, is that a problem? Is that our environmental impact? Like, yeah, a, a little bit. Landfill is a thing that exists, but is it really that much of a problem? We're selling to, you know, every country that we sell into has sanitation and management systems like these, tri these tripods aren't ending up in the ocean, right? They're not, they're not actually causing a problem. The, the, the point is I'm, I'm saying like their end of life and the fact that it'll end up in a tri, in a, in a landfill one day is not a real problem. Um, the water usage is an important thing to think about. And it's a local issue though. You know, water, water issues are virtually non-existent in many watersheds across the world. And you can manufacture in places where local water supply just isn't a problem. There's sufficient rainfall, there's aquifers, the drain on agriculture is not that bad. Like it's, it's very possible to responsibly use water. Um, raw material usage, right? We get aluminum uh, for our tripods is commonly used in carbon fiber. And it probably makes sense to take a look and say, like, well, I understand that to make aluminum, sure, there is recycled, and we're at about 50% recycled now, which is great because it's actually not easy to to use that, in at least in beautiful-looking products. But where does aluminum come from? It comes from bauxite that's mainly mined in Australia and Russia, um, other places as well, but that's where that's where ours come from. And, like, is are we running out of bauxite? 
anytime soon? Like, is, is that critically in danger? And the answer is no. We have a lot of that. That is the case for all of our materials. I think that people will frequently perceive raw material extraction as um, this kind of great evil that we're putting out there and something that we need to not do. And I think that people need to take a more critical eye toward that and say, like, well, what is the problem if we keep using aluminum at this rate and for, you know, a thousand? And it's just not a problem. But what is a problem is carbon. And at every step of the way, when a peak design product is manufactured, it has a carbon footprint. The most critical environmental uh, concern right now is carbon. It is the thing that is existential. I mean, existential is actually kind of a weird word, and I I take it back. Is the human race going to go extinct because of climate change? No, I really don't think it's going to go extinct because of climate change. Is it going to suck for a lot of people? Yes, it is. Will it will it suck so fast that we are able to de- attribute that to climate change? I'm actually not even that certain. Like people look at the California fires that we've had or individual hurricanes and they scream climate change. And I actually I don't. I I'm like, well, maybe could could be could be worse, but like show me the model that can accurately ascribe that to climate change and nobody's got it. And and so I think it's unhelpful to 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 the cause of of wanting people to get behind climate change when you scream it every time. But certainly adding carbon molecules to the atmosphere increases its capacity to retain heat. You just built a greenhouse this weekend. Yep. You understand how they work. Yep. Those sons of bitches get hot. Yes. It's kind of amazing the greenhouse effect. There it is. It, it it is not it's not a it's not a thing that that science or even climate change skeptics debate. Um, it's just I don't know. Um, in any case, I I think for a long time my mind has been settled that climate change is is a real deal and it's very much worth fighting. And I don't and I also really don't think that this world solves climate change through austerity. I don't think that people are going to choose things that are less convenient or less pleasurable in order to mitigate something that they have a very difficult time sensing in their day-to-day lives. And so the the, the way to approach carbon emissions, it, like it, it has to be an economic solution. And that means putting a price on carbon and once I started really kind of researching this, like, what does it mean to offset your carbon? What is a carbon offset? What does it mean to offset your carbon? And like, well, what if we were to mitigate all carbon? Like, what kind of costs are we talking about? Unfortunately, I didn't have to do the science for this. There are lots of people that have. I think Project Drawdown is probably the best example of of kind of putting a collar around the whole issue and saying, how much of a problem do we have here? And they basically say it's going to cost about a trillion dollars a year to fix globally. And that might sound, um, basically to draw down carbon uh, over the next 30 years to take the 56 gigatons that we put out there and essentially bring that down to zero, um, and which 
you know, best predictions is that's going to limit our warming to about two degrees Celsius. Um, it's about it's about a trillion dollars a year, and that happens to be about one percent of the annual gross world product. Um, is 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 a trillion dollars. So, I'm pretty optimistic this is a problem that we can fix. It's just a matter of choosing to pay for it. And fortunately, it's not actually that expensive. And so, as, as, as a business owner and someone who's obviously responsible for a good amount of carbon emissions, I feel like it's the least we can do is to offset those emissions. And I'm grateful that, that there exists a, a platform for doing that. It's interesting because as a business owner, there definitely is some sense of responsibility, especially if you're producing, you know, physical goods into the world. Um, but what about, there's also a sense of responsibility, I would think, for the consumer as uh-huh. well. Uh-huh. But whose role is it to educate, like, the average consumer on these things? Like, Teachers. Are, <laughs> right? yeah, I mean, you have people that are obviously, you know, all about the environment. So they, they're self-educated, right? They're on YouTube mm-hmm. searching and, and, and Googling and figuring things out. But for most people, like where does that, you know, cause it almost seems like that needs to be a part of this bigger plan well, uh, to see, you know, widespread change. It, you know, I think, I think it is. And I don't know if that's just a delightful softball question that you're lobbing up for me or, or, uh, and I don't think it is actually, cause it's not like we talked about this before, but I mean, that's the point of climate neutral. That logo uh, of climate neutral is it's, it's, it's black and white for a reason. It's intended to be black and white and it's, it, and it's intended to, in a very binary fashion, answer the question, did this company pay for their carbon or didn't they? Yes or no. Did they pay for their carbon or not? And when you see the climate neutral label, it means they paid for it. And if you don't know what that is, um, hopefully if you see it in enough places, like what does it mean to be climate neutral? You might Google climate neutral. And then when you do that, you might learn in a very few amount of words what it means. And you might learn that climate change is actually not this intractable beast, but something that we as humanity, like we have the technology. We just have to pay the frankly fairly reasonable sum that it's going to cost to fix it. And you know, the, the reason why we don't start with consumers is because there's 7.3 billion of them. And as far as businesses goes, if we can get a hold of, you know, the most important 10,000, we're most of the way there. Right. So we're starting with 100. That's how many people have actually gone through the process of measuring their carbon footprint, buying the offsets to offset that and making reduction plans for the next year as well. And that is something that did not exist at this time last year, and now it exists. And we have built a, a software tool that is literally industry-leading to allow companies to measure their entire carbon footprint. And not some bullshit scope one and scope two, but the whole thing. What are you responsible for if you're a business? What does your, you know, like... chase it up that chain and make sure that companies are, are seeing responsibility for the entirety of their, of their footprint. And so, and this is completely separate from 1% for the world. It's, it's it's completely separate from 1% for the planet. Um, 
except for the fact that one percent for the planet was absolutely the inspiration for this. Gotcha. I mean, it's another logo-based nonprofit, and because we gave money to one percent for the planet, it created this budget for peak design, which you know uh, now can give hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to climate neutral to prop it up. So it is completely separate, but 1% is responsible for its creation. Let me ask you this. Since we're talking about all this stuff and the climate neutral thing, super interesting. Have you, A, have you heard about some of the blockchain technology, which can more or less showcase the, what's the word I'm looking for? Ah, I just had it. I'm having a freaking brain fart. I don't work in manufacturing, but <laughs> the uh, supply chain. The, oh, the supply chain. Yeah, okay, being yeah. Being able yeah, to right. being able to see the supply chain from source to end product and everything in between. Uh, a, are you aware of that, or have you heard anything about that? And B, what are your thoughts on that? It's well, kind of shining I, a light into the product. So, at the end of the day, when I get this water bottle, all I know is that I'm happy because Hydroflask sent this water bottle. But little do I know. You know, how did this thing come about? Where did it come from? How did it get here? What was its journey? What was used? Well, I'll tell you this. I'm a skeptic mm-hmm. that uh, – first off, I, I clearly don't know enough about blockchain because I have no idea why blockchain would be remotely involved in that. It's not like there's a need for for security um, or an encryption and or or like a public ledger to to verify it. Or maybe that maybe that's what it is—is is the public ledger that verifies it. Um, again, I, I'll, I'm I'm way I threw, out of my. I threw a curveball. Looking, yeah, I, I yeah, would it's love, a curveball. I would love to chat, like to just like shoot you a text six months from um, now. Like, hey, did you ever look into that? <laughs> I'm like doing my best to wait on that thing and and try to hit it out to right field, you know, just for a little single. But but I might have to just take a pass on that one. But I will say this: uh, supply chains are the 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 best. The best example of a supply chain mapper that I've come across is a guy named Leo Bonani. Um, I think he's an MIT dude, and he's got a company called SourceMap um, that is d- describes what you're talking about. But um, and, and certainly blockchain does not imply automation, but it's a very manual process to have to chase that. You know, you think of a hydro flask flask. It's a simple thing, right? right. It's stainless steel. And I mean, it, I, I, it's a vacuum, so it's two layers of stainless steel, and then it's powder coating, mm-hmm. um, and then maybe some screen printing beyond that. But even that, like you'd be surprised what that stainless that journey stainless steel has to get to the place where it's being being formed, um, and the powder coat, you know, and then and then the cardboard box for the shipping, and the little plastic tag that holds on the paper tag, like yeah. shit's deep. So we're sitting here talking about climate. Um, how does a company like Peak Design keep its eye on the ball in today's climate with everything that's going on? Uh, is that the COVID climate you're speaking of? Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that we are. We would be wise to be reactionary. Say, I. Does it sound to you like my mom is playing the recorder no. downstairs or something? <laughs> I was just about to be like, does does he have? Is what there like the hell a, is going is there on? Like some type of tribal thing going on on his side, or, or is that my neighbor's kids just? Like, <laughs> hey, mom, are you playing a musical instrument right now? You're playing an, an ocarina. 
<laughs> I was like, dude, am I the only one here? <laughs> hey, it's fake, maybe it's could you put <laughs> put the ocarina on hold? I'm I'm recording something. No worries. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Ma, meatloaf, <laughs> meatloaf. <laughs> She's not gonna know that joke. Like, I'm just kidding about the meatloaf, <laughs> but not about the ocarina. <laughs> I think it's Ocarina. She says Ocarina. Oh, that's so great. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm glad we both heard that. I was like... I can't believe she owns an Ocarina. Ocarina? What? <laughs> it doesn't sound like she's very good at it, does it? It didn't sound that bad, to be honest. Oh, uh, you're kind. Add some drums and we might be on to something. Okay. Yeah, we'll jam later. <laughs> um, okay. What in, what in God's name are uh, we talking about? So... Um, how does a company like Peak Design keep its eye on the ball during the present COVID-19 state ah, of yeah, the yeah. world that we're currently living in? Hey, man, time to time to do some reactionary uh, business, you know, far from us to be able to predict what the next day brings right now. And the very best we can do is, is like, you know, have our ear to the ground, be aware of consumer sentiment be aware of employee sentiment. I think one of the most important things throughout this is managing employees' happiness and well-being, which is just it's just more volatile than than, than typical. Um, and I'm happy that. to report. I think I think peak employees are doing great through this, but but it's a mixed bag. You know, some better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a business standpoint, uh, look with that. Our sales were kind of slower to be affected than than a lot of people's, I think. Or um, and one weekend, one weekend, it just like shut down. I mean, they, they just hit a wall, and all of a sudden, everyone stopped buying them. That was maybe six, seven weeks ago. I don't recall exactly, but that got scary because it just we've run a really good and profitable business and lived well beneath our means for a very long time. And we do have a pretty sizable, you know, nest egg to keep us going for a while. But without any sales coming in the door, whew, you know, there's $51,000 a day that goes out the door in peak design expenses between paying for employees and overhead and cost of goods sold. It's like the the machine is, is cranking pretty sincerely right now. Uh-huh. And... There's obviously a finite number of days where you can just see fifty-one thousand dollars go out the day, the door without without having money come in. But fortunately, that's not what happened. Um, sales never ground down to completely zero. Um, we had a big, we literally had a big ass sale, and I say literally because that's the name we gave to it. And it was the best week of direct sales in the history of the company. Um, our our customers were just amazingly supportive. Um, I mean, some of them there are just to get the good deal, but a lot of them were there because they, they, they genuinely want to want to keep us afloat. Um, and then we launched tripod and, and tripod is just such a unique and, and clear market leader. I mean, in the travel tripod space, it is in, in a very measurable way. It is better than just about any other tripod in terms of performance and stability and it's half the size. Yep. And the price is sure it's more than 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 some, but it's less than Gitzos and really right stuff, which is the quality of tripod that that the Peak Design Travel tripod is. 
So it's priced right. It uh, it's absolutely exceptionally performing, and it's half the size. And his design is incredible. You know, it's almost like the the Apple versus Windows thing. The reality <laughs> is, and, and and not saying that this is the this this is true to Peak Design, but Windows has more powerful computers for half the cost, but people still buy Apple because it can do what you need it to do. And the, the design is just so much more appealing to most people. And so, uh, that's one thing that I really appreciated about the tripod was the, the design and not just design in the fan, in the sense that it looks neat design in the sense that an engineer built this thing. You take a look at it and you're just like, this isn't like, this was thoughtful. Like everything about this was so meticulous, detail-oriented, and thoughtful that only an engineer inventor type would have built this tripod. This is not like the other tripods. You know, it's several engineers, and it's it's the combination of the, the, the talents of those engineers and also the time that we afforded those engineers to iterate, like think, like think something to death, execute on it, and then say again, but could it be better? Like it, you'd be way by what we thought was like the most compact tripod we could possibly make. It actually was. It was. <laughs> I mean, this is a great like anecdote. Um, the first travel tripod we built was way skinnier than ours currently. Like same cross section of each individual leg, but. It was just like all of the the mechanisms were kind of in in series, if you will. They were stacked up on top of one another, and so it was this ridiculously skinny thing. And but the problem was is that all those mechanisms of like the the, the hinges and what what sets the sets the indexing and the pan they were all stacked up on top of one another and there was not, not nearly enough of the tripod could telescope. And so it had this really poor efficiency and, but like the best ever diametric efficiency. <laughs> and it was so pain, painful, like, and like really emotionally painful to say, this is not the one, like, this is not what we are going to be. When we launch this tripod, we are forever going to be, in addition to other things, a tripod company. Um, and this is not the first product to do it on. And so it was back to the drawing board and literally every part had to be redesigned. Dude, I love that. I love that you, I mean, at least you had the, the vision to, to follow through with that. You know, um, there's been companies in the past that have taken, you know, big bets on new products. Uh, Red's a good example, the Red Hydrogen uh, cell phone. Oh yeah. And that was, you know, and red's got a huge, I mean, phenomenal brand. Right. And I mean, the, the cell phone was something that they just didn't take enough time to just get right. And they put it out there and man. Yeah. What, what typically happens is, is, you know, you're running out of, you're running out of time because you're running out of money. Right. And, and the strength of peak design surrounding products, you know, we weren't reliant on launching tripod for for the self-sufficiency of the company their other products were doing phenomenally well you know tripod rode in on the backs of bags 
and and could do so because of the extreme success that those bags had. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's so, been fun. So let, let's talk about so so most people think of Peak Design as a photography company, a company that makes photography products, which yes is true, but mm-hmm. even greater than being a photography brand like peak design is a design company do you want to speak a little bit to that well i think our products are going to speak more to that in about four months um and 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 you'll see i'm so excited for this year's product release like i i really am it's uh, I mean, I I was so excited for tripod because it had been so many years in the making. But same with same with this, I'll call it suite of products that are coming out, um, and they're not like anything anyone's ever seen from us before. And they are certainly not just for photographers, but photographers will garner even more use from them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I think people are going to go ape over these these products. They're going to be really fun. Most, yeah, most definitely. I think it's always, I think everyone's always very excited to see. You guys almost kind of have like an Apple, not a, like, first of all, let's just bring this up. It's pretty neat to have a company. It's got to feel good to have a company to where when you drop a new product or you start talking about a new product, people get excited. Like that's got to be yeah. a good feeling. Like there's not a lot of companies that can, I know a lot of companies try to mimic the whole Apple, like, oh, let's do a product release. And it's actually, I don't know if you've ever watched some of these other brands do it. It's really cheesy. They have these guys that come out, they try to mimic Steve Jobs. And it's just like, it's like, yo, this is so bad. It's such a ripoff. Like, and it's just, and yeah. it's like, no one cares. <laughs> <about> yeah. <laughs> so it's got to yeah. be, it's pretty rad to have a, you know, to, to have such great products that people are excited and people are, are, want to talk about them. And it's a fun, it's a fun thing. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a it's a huge compliment um, to to hear you say that you know and like I, I I trust your judgment man like you you you're you're in this space and 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 I I don't believe you're just blowing smoke when you say that and um, yeah man nothing could feel more special it's it's really cool and this is going to be a fun release and I'm also so like grateful for the Kickstarter mechanism that we have been utilizing all this time and every time we throw a kickstarter we got to answer address the people who are like aren't you guys too big for kickstarter now <laughs> what what does that even mean like I, no we're definitely not kickstarters are still like the most powerful element of our of our business strategy every year um and I cannot wait. Like they're, they're, they're so fun. They're like an event, you know? Right. And, 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 and not only that, like the product isn't completely finished when, when, when you're having it. And so you get good ideas from other people and like that, that last mile of design gets to kind of continue and get extended into that. And, um, it creates this, it, it creates a 60 day window where it is possible to make modifications and, and continue to improve things. But like, man, it's tight. It's like the most, it's pressure filled, but it's fun also because you're seeing the, the, the rewards come in and, and like, like, like real time. And it's so meaningful for the designers that have been pouring their, you know, their blood, sweat and tears into these things. It's so it's such so. a rad, <clears throat> it's such a rad model too. It's almost like a, a centralized 
design approach for like the first 80%. And then it's like the home stretch is like, it just spouts out to this decentralized design approach to where mm-hmm. this is it. And then everyone starts talking about it and then you're in the comments and then you get this guy says this. And then all of a sudden everyone kind of gets an opportunity to, to voice their opinion. And then some of the opinions are good enough for you to act for you guys to actually take those and implement them into the final design, which is really rad. And we also like, it's the point where we're validating our assumptions, right? We, we have to make an enormous amount of assumptions about what people want prior to releasing a product. And, you know, you will know damn well whether you did a good job of that um, once you release that Kickstarter. Right. And those, it, the funny thing about making assumptions in, in product development, though, is uh, it helps a lot when you are the target market. It'd be yeah. different if you guys were, you know, data scientist nerds that just found some niche and decided to build a tripod <laughs> because <laughs> it just, it just couldn't be, it couldn't be that way. You know, it just couldn't be. Right. Awesome. Well, dude, it's been, it's been really great chatting with you. Is there anything that you want to leave with the AOV community, uh, before we part ways? Hmm. Parting words. Well, you know, I think that I think I'd be I'd be remiss to not just like mention that the times that we're in, like, dude, I'm we're we're talking during a certain time in history that will that will that will go down for a while. And I know that everybody's story through this is different. Um, You know, fortunately, most people in the world aren't suffering right now. Um, I'm not suffering myself right now. Um, And. Uh, I've spent a little bit of time feeling almost guilty kind of for not knowing that, that there are a lot of other people who are. Um, and I think it's good to have compassion and, and be mindful of those people. But I think it's also good to use this time as productively as you can. And that productivity might mean just letting time wash over you and, and, and like letting this moment in history, run its course through your mind and body and and don't try to worry about it. Don't try to predict, you know, I sure as shit don't know where this is headed. Neither do you, whoever you are. And that's okay. Um, be kind to be kind to your neighbors and, and hope for the best. Peter Deering, ladies and gentlemen, uh, be sure to check out peakdesign.com. You can also check them out on Instagram at Peak Design. They make fantastic products for you, the photographers. Uh, they're built for guys just like you, so they're definitely a part of the culture, uh, one of the raddest brands out there. Really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time with me, man. It's been really, really awesome. It's been a pleasure, Prince. Thanks, man.